We acknowledge the First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land we are on today. We acknowledge and pay respect to all elders, past, present and emerging. The Now in the Future podcast is an exciting way of sharing members' stories of opportunities, challenges and provide support and expert advice for Down Syndrome community. Down Syndrome Queensland's vision is to support, advocate for empower people with Down Syndrome to take their rightful places as valuable and contributing members of their community both now into the future. Hi, my name is Michael Harrison. I'm the Community Engagement Manager at Down Syndrome Queensland. On today's episode of the Now in the Future podcast, we talk to Dion McCurdy, Principal of Direct Lawyers, about the subject of will and estate planning, essential for any person with an intellectual disability and planning for the future. Welcome, Dion. Thanks, Michael. So to start with, how about you give us a rundown about yourself, your business experience, and what what sort of line of work and what you've done in the wills and the states area? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Thank you. So I have worked uh, exclusively in the succession law area, which which basically, you know, we talk about as wills and estates. Um, It's broken up into estate planning, which is, you know, preparing for death and and all the legal documents that we put in place. Estate administration, which means to to look after, you know, the actual... um, you know, paperwork essentially when somebody has died. And I've, I've also worked in litigation, which is where people sue each other over, um, you know, a, a loved one's death. Um, and it's a very important area, that, you know, that, that exists. Um, so my, my experience has been, you know, I've been working in this area for about seven years now, and I was very fortunate enough to work for a boutique firm um, when I started out, which only worked, uh, you know, specialised in this area. And um, I've, I've, I've had my own practice for about a year now. And um, I I work um, largely in the estate planning area, but I'm starting to expand into other areas. Other than that, um, in my life, I like to um, uh, play volleyball and I like to swim. Um, I I volunteer for for an organisation, an AIM mentoring experience, and, um, you know, I've... uh, you know, started to have this uh, connection with um, DSQ, which I've appreciated. And um, so that's, you know, I guess that's a bit about me and my, my background. Fantastic. So the first question is, when is a good time to start planning for the future? I think uh, there's no time better than the present. Um, as long as you're 18 years of age, you can make a will. And uh, everybody who's over the age of 18 should um, be looking to make a will. Um, even if they don't feel as though they have a, a huge amount of um, assets to pass on, it's, it's still going to make the administration of their estate easier. And it does give the, the person, the will maker, some control um, over what happens. If you, if you don't make a will, then um, the law has a certain formula that sets out um, how your estate is going to be administered. And it may not accord with your wishes. So I would say... Um, you know, as, as soon as you hear this podcast or, you know, as soon as you um, sort of have enough space in your life um, to start considering it, I think you should do it. So speaking of considerations, are there any additional considerations when you're making a will and when you have a child or beneficiary who has an intellectual disability? Yes, Michael, um, absolutely. I think um, that there is. Um, to um, to the extent that the the 
vulnerable or um, a beneficiary um, or the disabled beneficiary um, needs uh, special care or um, they need uh, to take into account um, how, uh, where they're going to be living, like accommodation, um, whether they're you know, totally dependent or uh, independent with occasional support, whether they're um, better suited to a group home or um, you know, community or, or living with family. Uh, maybe that might be siblings and so on. That all needs to be taken into account. Um, we also need to consider their um, em employment arrangements. Um, are they going to be working um, in you know mainstream um, employment fields? Are they going to? How many hours are they going to be doing um, during the week? Um, or if they're uh, unemployed, you know, what is their source of, of income going to be into the future? Um, that certainly needs to be taken into account. Um, we're looking at the, uh, you know, what are the education options for that um, child, um, whether there's anything um, different that might apply in terms of life expectancy, um, what are their future and, and current um, medical needs. Uh, so there's a, there's a whole range of, of questions that need to be asked and even just really, you know, quite basic questions like, you know, the, the what are the support services and the support network that is there for them and um, what is their current quality of life and, and how and what kind of quality of life do you want um, your, you know your child to have going into the future um, and, and and also that sort of whole mix of questions around you know are they going to need assistance in handling money um, are they able to uh, you know can do their day-to-day -day transactions um, are they uh, you know sort of wise long-term financial um, decision makers and so um, we we look at you know um, their relationships with their health professionals carers their support network their family and their friends to work out the best way to manage um, them receiving uh, you know an inheritance from their parents so are there any, any implications in, in the case of receiving inheritance? Are there any implications for a person with an intellectual disability when they actually receive that inheritance? And what I'm talking about there, tax impacts on tax mm. or disability support? Yeah, so this this is a, a, one of the one of the primary questions we have to get our um, head, heads around because we don't want somebody who is relying upon the disability pension for the rest of their life to all of a sudden receive a huge amount of money that that um, you know discludes them from being able to receive that benefit. So, um, yes, we, we need to, um, but at the same time, we don't want to overcook the situation, you know, because if there are only very modest benefits that are going to be able to be um, given to, um, you know, the next generation, then we don't need to, you know, set up too, too much um, that's complicated. It might be the case that um, they could receive it in their personal name, but then they have the assistance of their community to, to look after those, um, you know, that, that financial um, inheritance, um, you know, with them. Uh, and so we're also looking at um, the, you know, the some, sometimes there, there can be a loss of eligibility for certain programs like supported employment, accommodation and care that have their own criteria um, and uh, the loss of uh, eligibility for the, for the healthcare card. Um, and that's all sort of tied up with, um, you know, the means testing needs to um, be taken into account. Okay, so in, in the worst case scenario, what are the implications if a parent of a child with an intellectual disability passes away and they don't have a will? Right. Well, um, so like I, I, I said earlier, there is a, um, a formula that's that's sort of written in, in this in the law. It's um, the rules of intestacy, and this changes. Um, it's different for different states. So um, uh, up here in Queensland. Um, 
if if you pass and you you have spouse um, but no children then it all goes to your spouse and if um, you have spouse and children then there's a sort of uh, a split of assets between your spouse and children if you have more than two children then um, that that formula changes again so what's going to end up happening is if you have a person with a disability um, and say they're your only child let's say for example then they will just receive everything in their personal name and um, that might depending on the amount of money that um, they will be receiving or value they receive that might um, uh, mean that they no longer are eligible to receive the pension and so um, they would just be uh, basically um, drawing upon that resource until they get down to a level in which um, they could um, reapply for the disability pension. So um, we, we do want to try and avoid that and and look there's nothing uh, dodgy about trying to avoid that. Um, you know, there are specific um, structures that have been set up, um, including the Special Disability uh, Trust, which um, are designed to allow a person with a disability to have more than um, the, you know, the, the assets test uh, sort of level. Um, but it, it's, it's in that um, structure, uh, that entity, uh, it, and, it, and it has certain rules around it. You know, so that so there will be a reduction in the flexibility in the way that the beneficiary can can use those funds, but um, we can maintain the disability pension throughout the entire period by utilising um, structures. And so, special disability trust is one, and then um, a, 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 a sort of a flexible uh, discretionary testamentary trust um, is also you know a, a very um, useful tool. Um, for, for certain circumstances, for certain for clients. Okay. And so can a person with Down syndrome create their own will? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, there are different tests of, um, you know, capacity. Um, and so there's a different um, test, you know, for, for example, getting married um, versus, you know, signing, you know, a, a simple contract um, versus signing a complicated contract versus appointing someone as your attorney um, versus uh, making a will. And so um, the test for making a will is, um, you know, re really in brief, um, and this is um, from the rules of a, of a court case from a very long time ago called um, Banks and Goodfellows, and this is that um, you need to um, understand who it is that might have um, an interest in your estate so if that um, person with a disability had children, for example, or if they have a spouse, there's an expectation that you would provide for those people. Um, they need to have, uh, have an understanding of what their uh, estate is. So, you know, they need to know basically where they have their money, uh, how much money they have or property that they have, just have a general sort of idea of that. Um, and then uh, they, they need to make sure that um, uh, the, the, the people are, um, you know, provided for and, um, and that there's nothing um, that is affecting their, um, their, their judgment, um, you know, essentially that, um, you know, they're being influenced in any particular way or, or that, um, you know, that there's any sort of, um, uh, you know, element that is um, distorting their view of, of who should be, um, you know, provided for under their will. Okay, so just, a, I guess, a bit more clarification on that. So, so if that does happen, that someone with Down syndrome wants to make their own uh, own will, do you have any recommendations for when that occurs and, and how to have those sorts of conversations? Well, um, yeah, I think the the first step is that you will want to um, have a lawyer uh, write your will. Um, you know, I know that there are, you know, sort of uh, will kits and, and that available. Um, 
uh, and the, sort of the do-it-your-own um, approach, but there are significant risks involved in that. And, um, you know, quite often it's it's the, the cheap solution that ends up being the very expensive solution because those matters um, where there's uncertainty um, lead to, you know, litigation. So um, having a lawyer write the will, they will, ha- um, you know, find, find yourself um, a lawyer that you can communicate with uh, really well. Um, you might find some lawyers that, you know, don't really have the time of day for you, you know, um, if, if you did have a, um, intellectual or, you know, learning disability. Um, so find a lawyer that is willing to spend the time that it takes, um, to get to know you and, um, what your needs are. And, um, and then, you know, a strategy basically needs to be adopted that, um, it takes into account some flexibility for the, you know, the future is, is somewhat unknown, um, a strategy that takes into account, you know, the, the tax implications and so on. Um, and, um, you know, also takes into account, you know, the emotional factors that are, you know, relevant, um, to the client. So, um, you know, I would, uh, yeah, I would suggest, um, getting in touch with, um, with, uh, lawyers and see, see if you can, um, um, meet with a, a few is, is if possible. Um, or at least until you, you, you feel as though you have the right connection with that lawyer. Okay. You mentioned before in, in that comment about the cheap option is often the most expensive option. Um, can you tell us a bit about the importance of having, and the advantages, I guess, of having a properly prepared will mm. compared to a DIY kit? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, you you pay a lawyer to make sure that they, that um, what is written in the documents um, it, it actually um, you know aligns with what you wanted. So you might write something into a DIY will and just not be um, aware that that what you're writing could be interpreted in a different way. And so when you have a, uh, the poss- you know different interpretations, different possible interpretations written document then you have the the recipe for conflict and so if somebody feels as though they're being um you know the, an alternative interpretation favors their position then you might end up with um you know litigation or you know at least threatened litigation any any time you you know get involved with litigation you're talking about a huge amount of money um that usually ends up in lawyers pockets so um you know although it might cost you a bit more in the in the front end um, to to do your estate planning with the lawyer, um, it reduces your risk of things going wrong in the back end, um, and that you know p- part of that is is no doubt that lawyers are insured, and if you give instructions and the lawyer doesn't correctly um, prepare your documents, then you know you have the actual potential that um, you know to to sue the lawyer. Um, whereas if you sort of just do things yourself, then you've got nowhere to turn. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the results are quite, quite often, you know, really quite atrocious. And, you know, we, we've all seen, you know, cases like this in the paper where, you know, an entire state basically gets eaten up in legal fees. Um, and, and sometimes it's just completely unnecessary. Um, so, yes, I, I, I think that um, certainly state planning is a lot better than, you know, the uh, trying to fix things after they've gone bad. All right. So, so just going back to a question you mentioned before that, when you're looking for a lawyer you know, and if you're preparing a will, you may get one that doesn't give you the time of day. Are there any questions or advice you, sh- you would give to people in regard to selecting a lawyer? It's difficult to know um, before you met someone, you know, whether they're going to yeah. be the right choice. Um, so so, so uh, I guess in that question, if you go and yeah. meet a lawyer, uh, are there some questions you should ask them to really find out whether they're the person for you? Well, I mean, I, I think... Understanding exactly what the scope is that the lawyer is going to do for you 
Um, and, you know, the fees are an aspect of that, but really you, you want to understand, you know, are we just going to have one appointment and then you're going to do my documents and then we're going to sign it up and I'm not really going to have much of a, a back and forth, you know, we're not going to have much of an actual um, sort of a, a guided journey through this process um, or, or are you, are we going to have a, you know, a series of appointments or are we going to have um, telephone conversations in between? Um, I mean, when, when we prepare um, estate planning documents, you know, there is the, the legal documents like the will and the enduring power of attorney. Um, and, uh, you know, in some cases, you know, superannuation, finding death benefit nominations, sometimes there's deeds and so on that have to go with family trusts. Um, but there's also non legally binding uh, documents like uh, memorandum of wishes, for example, that goes alongside um, the will and the enduring power of attorney. And, and that provides guidance to the trustees and executives and to the beneficiaries on, you know, what the overall aim is of the of the process and, and what the goals are um, that, that the, the testamentary, uh, you know, that the will maker wanted. And so, you know, just seeing whether, you know, your package is actually going to include something like that, or is it just a sort of a bare bones type of um, arrangement? Yeah. So when you're, you, you, we mentioned the, when we talk about the importance of getting your will done, how regularly should you review your will? And get it looked at. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. And, some, and you know, this is a notorious area because people, um, it, you know, about 50% of the population doesn't have a will. So that's, you know, incredibly low um, and that's it's not really good. And then um, of the people that do have wills, you know, they often leave it, you know, potentially decades before they update their wills. Um, m- my advice would be to um, locate your will and to read it once every two years. So maybe at Christmas time or something like that, every second. It doesn't need to be every year, but every second year. And all, all I'm suggesting is that you read it yourself and you just think, okay, is this does this sound like what I want? You know, is, is, is everything still sort of as it is? It doesn't need to necessarily be reviewed by a lawyer every second year, but, you know, read it yourself and consider whether it's actually reflecting your wishes. And if it doesn't, then you go see the lawyer. And, and if it does, then put it away for another two years. Um, the, the times when, um, you know, that you might, uh, be prompted to, to take more active, um, steps to review your estate planning are, um, you know, the birth, um, of, uh, children or grandchildren, um, deaths, um, and, you know, marriages, um, you know, people moving in, uh, separation is another important one, um. Uh, a lot of people don't know that when you separate from a partner, you know, if you still have a will for their benefit, then, um, you know, that's not going to change by separation. It will change by by legal divorce, but divorce is, you know, you know a year down the track at least. So um, as soon as you separate, you might consider, well, you should definitely consider your estate planning then um, and changing your beneficiaries around at that point. So those, those kind of major life events should be a prompt, but in default of that, just every two years, I think, just have a read. And to finish up, do, do you have any advice for people, just general advice that we haven't covered, just about preparing your wills and your estate? Uh, uh, well, look, uh, one of the things I haven't really talked about is, you know, what what solutions are are out there. Um, and so, you know, there is a there are quite a few different paths that can be taken. And it, it does depend on 
you know, how you hold your assets at the moment. So is it is is all of your your wealth really tied into your family home? Or do you have, you know, um, a share portfolio or something, some sort of investment on the side or uh, an investment home on the side? Uh, do you have a large superannuation, you know? Um, and then we need to sort of go through a filter of, you know, w- what are you trying to achieve and um, what are the options that um, exist to try and achieve that and then look at the pros and the cons of each one of those options. And so, you know, a, a, a setup that is um, quite good Um where you're, you have a, you know, a, a pretty, you know, on the larger side of assets to, to, to pass on is to set up, um, you know, a testamentary trust in your will, a discretionary testamentary trust. And you could have, for example, it's a pretty common setup to have the siblings in charge of that trust, um, all children beneficiaries of that trust. And then for that trust to also have as a beneficiary, a, as a potential beneficiary, the special disability trust for a person with a disability. And so then, um, that, you know, you can be in a situation where the trustees have a quite a bit of flexibility about if they can make distributions directly to the disabled child or whether they set up a special disability trust and make contributions to that trust. Um, there's also, um, you know, protections, um, that, that will be passed on to your uh, children in terms of the family law. Um, you know, if their children go through separation and so on, uh, bankruptcy, if their children are in risky professions. Um, and there's also uh, taxation advantages, as the law is states at the moment, there is a, a rather large tax, taxation advantage that happens with the distribution to um, minors um, from that trust. So I guess, um, you know, it's taking into account not just um, the needs of the person with a disability, although that will be, you know, an incredibly um, important part of it, but also the needs of their other children and 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 what can be done in the for the for the for, for the whole family. What's in the best um, best interest of the whole family? Okay, thanks for your time, Dion. We really appreciate you coming on today and having a chat to us. Um, it's really beneficial to get this sort of information out to our families and members, so we they can we can help them now into the future and prepare for everything that's to come in life. Thanks very much. You're welcome. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for having me along. At the Now in the Future podcast, we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions as a way of continuing to provide essential information for the community. If you have a question or would like any more information on any of our episodes or have any ideas for future episodes, simply send us an email to engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au. That's engagement at downsyndromeqld.org.au. And we'll do our best to provide you with the information you require in one of our upcoming episodes. The Now in the Future podcast aims to support, advocate for and empower people with Down syndrome both now and into the future. You have been listening to the Now and the Future podcast. For more information about this episode and many other topics related to Down syndrome, please visit the Down syndrome Queensland website at downsyndrome.org.au/qrd. Down syndrome Queensland supporting people with Down syndrome now and into the future.